Hello and welcome to The Greenhouse. We're back after a week off. I'm Pratham Lal. And I'm Anna Snow. And stay tuned for all things planet Earth. Uh, today is a special day. We have uh, turned the lights off in the studio and we have uh, turned on the green the LEDs. Green lights, so we're in, a, we're in a good mood. Yes. Um, coming up on the show today, uh, we're going to be talking about the clothing company, the Shein. Shein, I Shein. believe. I found a pronouncer that said Shein. So that's what we're going with for tonight. Shein. Um and their, the way they treat their workers, but also their environmental um, impact, the impact of fast fashion. We're going to get into that. That's all coming up. But yes. um, we're going to lead with wind farms. Um, is, this is an East Coast story today, nice. but this has the ability to impact um, a lot of people. So wind farms are just one of the many ways that people are trying to find new ways to clean, produce energy. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of projects in the works. But now, in this past year, a lot of wind farms on the East Coast are being canceled or cut down. Wow. And the big reason? Money. Of They're course. not as profitable as people taught, thought. Um, so earlier this month, um, the world's largest offshore wind developer announced they were canceling a New Jersey wind farm. Wow. So this wind farm was being built in like two phases, mm-hmm. and it would have produced 2.25 gigawatts. So for those who are not in our abbreviation mm-hmm. alphabet letter soup, that's enough energy to power between 750,000 and a million homes. Wow. Okay. So it's, it's a good amount of uh, power. Uh, another way to compare it is if you're a car person, that's 1.3 million horsepower in a single um, gigawatt. Oh, okay, that's interesting. I'm glad you explained that because I think I vaguely knew what a gigawatt was. It's just I hard knew, to see I knew it. it was a lot with a... With um, a prefix like giga, you know it's a lot. But yeah. The, but the two point two five looks incredibly small. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, so how you, powerful was this? When you hear the numbers of you know up to a million homes, that, I think that really puts it into perspective for sure. Um, and just to clarify, this was a wind farm that was being built that is no longer being built. Correct. Okay. It is at least delayed. Or delayed. Okay. Um, throughout, and this has been a bad summer, mm-hmm. bad I guess year for wind farms. Oh, okay. Um, earlier this summer. Uh, three more gigawatts worth of projects have been canceled, you know, from Massachusetts to Rhode Island to Connecticut. These are all for various reasons. Um, The biggest Mm -hmm. reason cited, as we said, economic, high inflation, high interest rates, supply chain problems. I feel like we've been hearing that term supply chain problems so much for the past couple of years. But it's coming in now. Yeah. Because wind farms are a little bit of a complex thing, and we're going to get into how wind... Is it is interesting, you know, the states you're mentioning, Connecticut, Rhode Island, New Jersey, Massachusetts, they're not the states I think of as having a ton of wind farms. Now, I I know I talk a lot about Florida on this show, and that's where <laughs> I grew up, but I was actually born in Oklahoma. And one thing I Little do remember uh, about living in Oklahoma was, you know, going on long drives and seeing these huge wind farms. You know, you see all those big white, you know, windmills. Um, and so I always think of that as being something that, yes, they can have anywhere, but that are focused in a lot of like the Great Plains states, states that have a lot more open space for stuff like that. Because, man, the East Coast, the North Northeast, those states, they're so close together and they're so tiny. Like, And yeah. I'm not saying that obviously, clearly there are wind farms there, but it's interesting uh, that we're talking about these ones. A big thing is these are offshore and offshore. like in the ocean. Okay. Um, because supposedly the way the currents work. So are they under the water? It, they're still... I think they're above the water because that's okay. how the wind can generate. Okay. But they're just far off because um, wow. I guess the wind flows better. It's a little more powerful. Okay. Very uh, interesting. There's this Danish company 
that runs a lot of these Northeast developments, and they mm-hmm. kind of put this into context, where just more, you get more bang for your buck from other types of power generation. Um, this company is going to lose $4.8 billion due to these cancellations. Um, wow. Wind, the thing with wind farms is they cost 145 megawatt, megawatt hours of power. Um, so this is a different abbreviation. Okay. Um, meanwhile, for solar per megawatt, 47 bucks. So big difference there. Mm-hmm. And then even hydroelectric, $55. Okay. So I, like, you know, if you had a business mindset, you want to get the most generation at the cheapest price sense. while still also being clean. But also, I guess when I think of wind farms, I think that as being like one of the cleanest energies, one of the best energies that you can get. There's very, very little, um, you know, negative effects with a wind farm. I mean, what, like, I mean, so I, I, I guess would that have something to do with why it's more, it costs more maybe? Yeah, it, it, and it may be like, you know, the, the maintenance of having to the go out, of building those. Okay. go out there. Um, and at, we're gonna get and how it works in a little bit, but mm-hmm. you need to, be out in the ocean then you need to convert it like locally into like some electric mag um uh i guess frequency okay and then you got to send it under the water back to an oh, actual generation okay. station that's interesting so i think okay. a lot of that stems not just from the generation part of it mm-hmm. but also the transport to make it usable okay um but we you know we as you said in the beginning we talk a lot about wind farms mm-hmm. and the President Biden's administration um, has been talking a lot about it too. They have the goal of building 30 gigawatt um, gigawatts of offshore wind energy by 2030. Okay. That's seven years from now. Um, for a little bit of context and like how much wind farms can produce, the average one produces um, 12 to 14 megawatts apiece. Uh, now, that's kind of like an imprecise definition mm-hmm. because. Uh, that's talking about like individual stations and a wind farm by definition has like multiple of these mm-hmm. things. Um, you know, the blades also play a factor that of like how much it spins. Um, and I want to add something, something I Googled for myself, but also clarification for anyone listening. Cause we go back and forth between gigawatts and megawatts, like, you know, yes. building Biden wants to build 30 gigawatts of offshore energy. Um, and the average energy generation, like you said, is 12 to 14 megawatts a piece. I just Googled it because I didn't know. Um, there are a thousand megawatts in one gigawatt. Wow! So that twelve to fourteen megawatts, you need, you need a lot to get to, to that get a gigawatt. gigawatt. Yes. Um. So and that's why I think you're gonna you need to see them pop up all over the place. Mm-hmm. My wonder is, are these on the west coast too? Is there something in the Atlantic mm-hmm. on the east coast that the Pacific on the west coast doesn't have in terms of wind? True. That um, could also be. Um. It's also, so the energy itself, I know, is very clean and very good. Um, I would be curious to know how it's affecting ocean life, ocean animals and stuff being built out there, you know? Um, It just, I'm not saying that it's bad um, because I don't know that. But uh, I would like to know what the effects are um, because I just don't think there's any way you could build that in the ocean and there not be some type of effect on the ocean itself, on, you know, animal yeah. and plant life. Especially with this, like, electricity passing under the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, what it seems to me is that, like, on the wind farm, they all filter in into one mm-hmm. type of box, and then that box sends that um, electricity mm-hmm. back. So like, there's, like, two types of converters. Mm-hmm. 
there. Um, and this might be a totally different thing, but I would I would want to know if it's heating up the water at all with that electricity. Oh, because yeah. Because I know that power plants, like at least, now I'm going to talk about Florida real quick. <laughs> um, you know, like the FPNL, which is like our power company, power plants, um, they, like manatees, will hang out by the power plants all the time because they like the warm water, but a lot of times they end up getting hurt because they're too yeah. close to the power plant because they do like the warm water. But so that's something. And now that's not a wind farm. That's a, a normal power plant. Um, but I would be interested to see if we, with that electricity passing under the water, if we see some of those same effects. Yeah. Um, yeah, because by usually electricity tends to be hot. Yeah, exactly. Of, that's why that was my first thought. Like how, and of course this is me, the animal yeah. lover and me being like, how's this going to affect the animals? <laughs> I guess, I guess we'll see. Cause these are like a somewhat newer thing. Um, uh, let's go over how these okay, work. So yeah, everyone knows. Um, so there's this term that they use electromagnetism. Okay. Uh, when the blades of the windmill turn, they turn a generator inside the back of the windmill or whatever you want to call it. The generator then carries power via coil wire and the power is coming from the magnets rubbing mm -hmm. against each other, creates like an electric force. From there, the electricity is sent to an offshore substation, meaning in the water. Mm -hmm. And then that's kind of like a temporary holding place. Then it goes back to the mainland where it is processed and passed onto the electrical grid. Okay. Um, the, I, it, I, from my research I learned, and we talked about this earlier, these windmills are built offshore because there happens to be more wind in that the offshore sense. area. That, I mean, you think of, you know, even just terms like ocean breeze. And if you ever go to the beach, you know, they are very often very windy, more so than it would be inland. Um, so for that for that point, it does make sense why these would be in the ocean. There does seem to be more wind there to generate more power. Um, I also want to go back a tiny second. Biden wants to do this by 2030. Yeah. And they're not like even if he does four more years, he will not be president in 2030. He'll be done yeah. in 28 if he does four more years. So I would be interested to know. We've talked a lot about politics on this show yes. and how we think some of it is just talk. How much of that actually happens? And that's if he gets elected again, he might not, you know? Yeah. And uh, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, like the idea of carrying environmental goals between presidencies, between mm -hmm. leadership changes. And you would... In an ideal world, you know, you would think that everyone would want to protect the planet and that that wouldn't be something so politicized and that, you know, a next president, even if they were a different party, would want to continue that. But that's just not the reality that we live in. We know that this is, you know, a highly political topic and that it's very likely if we, you know, Biden is a Democrat, if we get a Republican in there, it's very likely that they would not want to continue the plan. And, you know, maybe they would, maybe you... Yeah, there's a chance they would, but I think it's very likely they would not. Exactly. Um, and I think we're also seeing some people mm -hmm. are getting um, upset, like upset about uh, climate goals. John Hickenlooper, who's a Democrat from okay. Colorado, um, he said it's premature to worry about these long term and intermediate goals in reference to the idea that there's some short term goals that need to be solved too. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think people are. It is a big investment, mm -hmm. and people are backing up because they're not seeing the immediate results that they were hoping to. Yeah. And people just need to repurpose a little bit. Mm -hmm. We talk about this idea of, like, public trust running out. Um, that's yeah. something that could be happening here. Definitely. I definitely see that happening. Um, and it's, you know, but 
I understand what he's saying, that there are some short-term goals that need to be addressed, but I also think the long-term goals are the ones that are going to affect future generations. And, like, you know, you and me, we're college students. We're in our early 20s, you know. Exactly. We've got, you know, a good chunk of time left here, but, like, you know, even thinking of the generations that are babies right now or future, (laughs) you know, they're not even here yet. Like, you know, I I think, yes, there are short-term goals that need to be addressed, but... There's a lot of bigger problems that if we want this planet to be here for our children and our children's children, you know, we need to do some of that, those long-term stuff now. Exactly. Um, some people are optimistic, mm-hmm. like us. Um, there's this thing called the Global Wind Energy Council. Okay. And they say that they hope that there'll be 447 gigawatts around the world by 2032. That's a big, <laughs> even bigger jump than Biden's 30 gigawatts. That is, that is. Um, That's a quite quite a big <laughs> jump and it's not even it's it's not predicting that there's 447 gigawatts it's saying that there there is a plan there's a work in the plan okay uh, to get to 447 gigawatts but critics are saying those numbers are based on what people have committed to yeah so like everyone i mean it, by that case we can say that the same thing that like the world is going to be completely carbon neutral by 2050 yeah everyone has promised they're going to try their best mm-hmm. to be carbon neutral by 2050 but is that like we can't make that statement saying, oh, it's absolutely going to be. I think that 447 is a pretty lofty goal, you know, pretty hopeful, pretty ideal goal. Um, but even if we get half that, you know, people committed, and I'm sure that not all of it will come to fruition, but even if we get a third of that, half that, it's something, you know. Exactly. And we spend a lot talking about how there have been cancellations and mm-hmm. it's not profitable, but we also want to point out that there are still things being built. Um mm-hmm. 800 megawatts are still being built in Massachusetts and 132 megawatt plant in Long Island. Okay. Um, but as, as you can just see, like, there's a, you can go really f- high mm-hmm. uh, with a 2.25 gigawatt. Yeah. And as low as 132 megawatt. Like, mm-hmm. just because a plant's being built, it can make a huge impact. It can make a tiny impact. I, I would venture to say that one in Long Island will probably, if it's only 132 megawatts, will probably be like, that's the power for a neighborhood. You know, yeah. for a, a, a community would be able to use that and rely on that. Um, obviously not for, like, the whole state of New York or something, though. Yeah. And you're hoping the wind will always be there. Yes. You know, people have criticized the sun, saying solar or solar power, saying the sun won't always like, be well, there. Well, it's cloudy or it rains <laughs> or it's nighttime. Um, but wind should always be there. Wind happens in the night. Mm-hmm. Wind happens during the rain. Hurricanes help. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's always – it's very, very rare – that air is completely still. Yeah. You know, there are days that are much more windy than others, but there's there's always some some movement in the air. Exactly. Um, so that's where the wind, the status of wind power since I actually didn't yes. know this, um, like, you know, how wind power works or how... I didn't even know there was a goal to get 30 gigawatts of yeah. offshore yeah. wind energy. But now we know. Um, and when we come back, we're going to be talking about Xi'an. Xi'an, yes. And how, um, how they're... how their like fast moving business Mm -hmm. is having detrimental effects on the environment we're back in one minute you're listening to the greenhouse on blaze radio and welcome back to the greenhouse i'm pratham vall and i'm anna snow and we're here to talk about all things planet earth as always um but right now we're going to be talking about the online retailer shein so if you don't know what shein is i will enlighten you um it is an online retailer like i said based out of china and they are huge. They sell a lot of very trendy clothing. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of their market is Gen Z. Um, 
And I've seen ads for this place. I, and they pump those clothes out like crazy. Um, so to give a little bit of perspective on how much people are talking about Shein and how big of a thing it is, Shein has taken over giants like Nike and Adidas as the most Googled clothing brand. Wow, that's uh, quite the achievement there. Yes, and, and they're outselling stores like Zara and Macy's, you know, well-established um, stores. And one of the things that they're known for, one of their business practices um, is really interesting and not, you know, something that I've really seen any other company do. So, you know, it's very often that companies, especially today in a digital world in 2023, companies will work with influencers and will yes. send them product or will give them a gift card to buy certain whatever they want or, you know, to promote their thing. Exactly. But Shein has been made famous by people sharing Five hundred thousand dollar Shein hauls, but when each item costs usually less than ten bucks, it's a lot of clothes. Stuff. Like that's how people will have these huge shipping bags the size of their own body that they, you know, in a TikTok they dump onto the floor and you know start going through their Shein haul. Yeah. Um, and just it's, but what I want to say is that like you know these are cheap products, mm -hmm. but a lot of people find these appealing because you know think of where we are right now with inflation and everything like that. It's true and um. To talk about the fashion cycle a little bit, some stuff that I know about that not everybody might know as much about, um, back in the ye olden days before the internet, mm -hmm. um, trend cycles used to have, you, it would be about four a year. A, a, a company would come out with a collection for fall, a collection for summer, and that would be what they would sell, you know. Um, and things would be in style for several years. Things would, you know, bell-bottom jeans in the 70s were popular for like that whole like a decade, decade right oh yeah. you know and nowadays with the internet it doesn't work that way so it used to kind of the trends would happen in places like new york and los angeles and san francisco really popular places and then because the internet didn't exist people in n the middle of nebraska didn't know <laughs> what the people in new york were wearing until it kind of had to trickle down not to talk not like, not, Reagan, bash Nebraska. not like Reagan trickle-down economics, <laughs> different trickle-down. Um, but basically, it would take some time for these really popular stuff to get to middle America. Um, and I'm talking about the U.S. I'm not talking about other countries right now. Um, and so that's why you would have things that would be popular for a very long time. And you know? popular in different places, like different places at different times. Exactly. And so... And nowadays, there's these things called micro trends. They are things that are popular for a few months, sometimes in some cases a few weeks, things that are popular and, you know, and, and they don't last. And so Shein's clothing is is known for being low quality, for being cheap. But when you're only going to wear it yeah. once or twice in a short amount of time before it's not popular anymore, that doesn't matter. And just to... Um, give you some perspective um there are lots of stores like fast fashion is not good no matter where you're buying it from but the rate at which Shein is doing it compared to other retailers such as forever 21 or h&m is exponential so those stores have websites but they also have storefronts you can go to mm -hmm. a forever 21 for example but Shein on their website they release between 700 and a thousand new items every single day that's crazy i bet like development is so much people spend so much time in development for like these big companies mm -hmm. i mean 700 like if I, if you ask someone to come with 700 ideas a day mm -hmm. 
you know, how's that? That's that's crazy. And the main way that they're getting a lot of their ideas is they are stealing designs from small businesses. Oh, well, that's which easy then. <laughs> is not an environmental impact, but is an ethical issue. Um, and we did um, early on in the show a couple seasons ago, I think we talked about fast fashion broadly. Yes, we did. Um, and I quoted uh, Madeline Pendleton, who is um, a business owner. She owns a company called Tunnel Vision, and she's been in the fashion, like fashion, you know, clothing expert. She's been in the industry for like two decades or something. Um, she instills so much stuff from her company to the point that they have photos of her in clothes she designed on their website. Whoa. So they're like they're stealing designs, but they're not just stealing designs. And then here's our our little crappy version. They're literally using the photos from the original websites of these designers, <laughs> these small businesses, and then just putting them on their website. And they just cut, um, they just crop the photos so that the model's head is not in it. Usually for like deniability or it's mm. you know, um, so that's how they're doing that. That's and you know, clothing waste and stuff is a big problem. But um, the manufacturers for Shein's, um, their rapid use of virgin polyester, so making new polyester as opposed to recycling, um, and the large consumption of oil, um, it churns out the same amount of CO2 as approximately 180 coal-powered, like coal-fired power plants. Wow. That's, that's a lot. Yes. And then and that's, not, that's forgetting about shipping and everything. That's and so that is just the production of the clothes. That's not including the plastic in the shipping and the, you know, gas and power it takes to get all of these items from China to the United States. Now, this is an international company. They don't only ship to the United States, but I would say a, a good majority of their um, customer base is is here in the U.S. Um, the uh, company produces about 6.3 million tons of carbon dioxide a year. Ooh, wow. Yeah. So it's a lot. And then one of the reasons that they're churning out clothes at this rate, you know, being able to have items to post 700 to 1,000 items a day, um, is the working conditions of the um, employees. So they are often working 17, 18, 20-hour shifts. Wow. Um, and one thing I found is that the daily base salary for a factory worker for Shein is $20 a day, which can be docked by as much as $14 if any of the garments they make have a single mistake. Wow. So you're talking about, let's go with a lower estimate I saw at 17-hour shift. Seventeen. You're working 17 <laughs> hours straight That's trying crazy. to make $20. I get burnt out working like nine. Yeah, I know. So you, you, know, you think you're in your... 10th, 12th, 15th, 16th hour of working, you make a small mistake in a stitch, in a hem, in a design, something. Now you only made $6 for that day. And that is the month, that is what I could find on the internet doing research from like other journalism companies. There's been a documentary um, and some deep dives on Shein. There's one from Wired and one from the UK's Channel 4. Um, so that is what people were able to find out. I would, Shein has been known for like lying and having very shady business practices and then stuff coming to light. I wouldn't be surprised if this is another one of those where, oh, they're saying they pay them $20 a day and that already sounds low. But I would, in reality, <laughs> I would bet that it's it's much less. That That's crazy. Mm -hmm. And it's, I, I mentioned this to you before we started the show, but, um, I was on TikTok and I saw a girl talking about Shein and she had a chart behind her of 
showing the rate of production that Shein has compared to, like I mentioned before, Forever 21 and H&M. And I want to say there was Zara was the third, uh, fourth store on there. Um, and fast fashion is terrible for the environment, no matter where you get it from. Right. But Shein in particular was like, like exponentially above all the other fast fashion brands in just their production. You know, and it's become, you know, like I mentioned earlier that it's the most searched clothing brand, but it's also become the most most mentioned brand on TikTok, far, far surpassing Netflix, which is what came in second. Um, and Shein has been tagged more than three times as often as uh, McDonald's and Starbucks, which are also the second two most like tagged companies. Wow. I don't know why you would tag McDonald's. I understand Starbucks. You want to post your cup or something. I don't know. McDonald's is an interesting one. It is Side an interesting note. one. Side note. <laughs> um, that's the second episode in a row we've mentioned McDonald's kind of offhandedly because we talked <laughs> about the spoons last time. We did. Yes, we did. Um, but that's just to give a, you know, a perspective on how rapidly this brand has grown. Because I will say that technically this brand was founded in 2008. But it's really gained it's notoriety. the past two couple of years, you know. Um, and I think that some of it has to do with how cheap the clothing is because we, I get it. Inflation is hard. Wages are not getting raised. It's hard to make enough money, but, and, and I don't like to blame the consumer for something that is a business. Like, yeah, you know and, what I mean? I mean, you feel the benefit. You think it's like a uh, skirt, uh, whatever. Yeah. Like, um, you know, I, like I choose not to shop with she and I've never ordered from them. I own two items by them that I got at Goodwill and they're <laughs> terrible quality. Like I'm not saying that, you know, and they were probably stolen designs anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, but uh, she now represents almost a third. It represents 28% of the fast fashion market in the United States alone. Um, so, and also currently Shein is not on the stock market, but they are looking to be on the stock market to be an openly traded that means company. they'll try to cut prices even more to I, appease shareholders yes. so that has not happened yet that i will i will as a journalism you know you know student I, ethically i will say that that is a rumor so mm-hmm. i i don't have like a like the ceo of Shein did not say that did not confirm to us but it is a rumor i in research for this episode it is something i saw mentioned in a few different um articles and, and think resources so I think that there's some validity to it, but I, I will say it's a rumor. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's the breakdown on yep. Shein, um, you know, how they work and mm-hmm. the way they're successful um, and the ways you can kind of prevent mm-hmm. it is, you know, try to avoid buying from that company or at least limit how much limit. you have to buy. And Boycotts I, are so hard to do so in hard. our world. And I will say if you are you know, struggling with, with money and stuff for clothing, I always recommend thrifting. Go to, you know, Goodwill or local thrift stores. Not all thrift stores are chains. But you're going to find similar prices for clothing that is not nearly as bad for the environment. Exactly. And it's reused. Exactly. So that um, concludes this episode. Uh, thanks thanks for, for joining us. I'm Pratham Blal. And I'm Anna Snow. And th- tune in next week for all things planet Earth. Have a nice night. Goodbye. <laughs>